Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Morning. Morning. So the pastors have been on a, on a series um, about the new creation, what the new creation looks like. And I'm going to springboard off of that. Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Doug's uh, key phrase was, when Jesus rose again, he started a new creation. And he, he came and utilized Second uh, Corinthians. You can go ahead and put that back up. 517, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen. I love that verse. And, uh, and it brings me back, right? We, we reminisce sometimes about where God's taken us from and where he's leading us to. And I remember when I first met him. Do you? When I first met Jesus, I remember my life was a mess. It was chaotic. It was turmoil. I was strung out. I was frustrated. I had reached the end of myself. I thought that all I could give to the world was pain, and it would probably be better if I wasn't around. That's where I was at in my life at the time. And I was desperate. I needed a way out, and I couldn't find a way out. There was nothing else that made sense to me. I remember when I was young, my mom taking us to church and had some ideas about God, but I left and I went on to do my own thing, but I never knew God. I never had a relationship with him, but I knew what I was doing was wrong. I was 100% sure of that. I was living for myself. I was going the wrong direction. I was making all the poor choices and I was empty inside. I remember thinking to myself that I didn't want to go to church, though. My mom would call me, and she would talk to me about God, and I would just be like, is there anything else you could talk to me about? I almost prefaced the conversations with that, like, okay, are we going to talk about something else, anything else? And uh, she was so concerned with me, so concerned with God getting a hold of my life that she couldn't help herself but to talk about God. So we didn't talk very often. (laughs) That's the truth. I remember being fearful about going into a church service because I just felt like I was so burdened with pain and shame for my life that if I did go to church, I would just fall apart. I would just be a bumbling crybaby in the front. And sure enough, I came to a church service one day and the pastor preached a message and I just felt like, that's for me, I need this in my life. I can't do it anymore. And I asked God into my life and I broke down and wept. And it was such a powerful moment in my life because I, I felt instant transformation. When the Bible says that we are a new creation, I felt like a new creation. There were simple things in my life that I remembered like right off the bat that were impactful to me. One of those things was the fact that none of my friends would drive with me because of my road rage. <laughs> I lived in Las Vegas at the time and I would just drive in and out of cars and I'm not going to give you all the stories, but it was certainly something that was real. And I felt an instant peace when it was, when I was driving in traffic, people would cut in front of me and I just wasn't bothered by it. I felt like a, a weird shift in my, in my peace that was in my heart. And it was, it was amazing. There were other things that I experienced about God too. He, he began to transform areas in my life where I felt like I, I couldn't do it myself. I'm going to talk more about that as I move forward into my message, but I want you to know, I remember when I met him. And it changed my life. I was a new creation and I had a new life. Galatians 2.20 talks about something that I feel like is really important to understand. I think when we first read it, we might identify with certain parts of it, but it goes beyond that. And I've learned that. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I can certainly identify with that. I can, I can identify with a loving God who pursued me and came after me. When I felt like no one else could or would, I felt like he was there for me and he died for me. And it was exciting. I was so alive for God. You guys, uh, the way I lived my life before Christ was to the fullest. I did all the bad things to the fullest. All the stories that you could think about. My life could be a movie, all of the things that we used to do. And it was it was crazy. I lived in Las Vegas at the time, and, and we would go clubbing all night, go back and forth to L.A. and back and do all these crazy things, just a wild lifestyle. And I sinned to the fullest, to the extent that I could. And I knew I was wrong the whole time, but that's just the way I lived. I lived to the fullest. And when I gave my life to the Lord, nothing changed. Man, I looked for every opportunity to speak the word of God to anybody around me. I'd be on the bus. I'd be talking about Jesus. I'd be in the marketplace. I'd be talking about Jesus because I felt a change, a real change inside of me that transformed my life. And I wanted everyone to know about it. I became my mom, (laughs) right? People... People, uh, people hear that and they know it. They know it because you know people. Like, oh, it's a Bible thumper. He's just going to come and talk to me about Jesus. But they, I was so alive in him. I was preaching on the streets of Vegas. I went on mission trips to Mexico, to, to, you know, into communities, rural communities, just preaching the word of God. I would go to every church service. I was zealous for Jesus. There was this cologne that I used to wear, and it was called Truth. And I stopped wearing it. Never catch me wearing that. That's how I used to talk. That ain't the truth, you know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the truth. And I was so zealous for the truth of God to, to permeate into people's lives because I recognized that I was empty and I was bankrupt and I had this longing in my life and nothing satisfied it. And then Christ came in and I have peace and I have joy and there's hope. There's something to live for. It was radical. Yeah. I was excited about it. And then everything came crashing down. <laughs> you guys familiar with the honeymoon phase yeah. in marriage, right? You, I love you. Connected at the soul, right? <laughs> Later on, they're brushing their teeth, and you're like, ugh. <laughs> hate how you brush your teeth. <laughs> Not really, babe. Just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about, right? This honeymoon phase, you're excited. You're alive in him. It's so good. And then you realize that you spent... 10, 15 years of your life doing your own thing, being your own master, creating bad relationships and making poor decisions. Your character is flawed. You're empty still. You had an experience and it was a wonderful experience and you were alive in him, but the reality of all the things in your life, the debt that I had was starting to overwhelm me and all the decisions that went with it. And I crashed and I fell away. And here's the thing. When I grew up, I didn't, I didn't have any real relationships. I, my trust had been broken a lot. And so because I didn't have any connections, I didn't trust anybody. And because I didn't trust anybody, even in the church, I never made myself available. I was never vulnerable or open. And when I started to struggle deeply, I didn't have anybody around me. There was nobody there that was willing to like reach out and say, I got you, Dom. Come on, let's walk together. And I was by myself again. I'd live by myself. I remember, I remember feeling like God threw me into the water and said, sink or swim. And you know what? That's the story of my life. 
The story of my whole life was sink or swim. I left the house at 15. I was selling drugs, living in hotel rooms, and just, it was up to me. No one else was going to, no one was going to bail me out. There was nobody that was going to bail me out. And I'm just going, and I'm just living. And if, it, and if I don't get myself up the next day, if I don't take the next step and put one foot in front of the other and get out and do something, I drowned. And so I have an encounter with the Lord, and I'm excited about it, and it fueled me, and, I, and it's wonderful. And then I slip away, and I feel like God just threw me in and said, sink or swim. And so I'm back to where I was. I'm back to thinking that it's up to me. i got to make it. I was supposed to be a new creation. At that time, I, I was a new creation, and that's what I was supposed to be. And yet I found out that I couldn't escape myself. You know what that means? I couldn't escape the inner voice, the voice of condemnation, the voice of you're not enough, the voice of fear. Those things were real. And I was so conditioned to believe it because that was my whole life. That was a story of my life. Fast forward a lot of years. God moved me to a different state, connected me with a beautiful wife that I love and gave me kids, put me in a church that I love, this church right here. And I begin to grow, amen. I begin to grow and I begin to be mentored by men of God. I begin to hear and listen and, and as Pastor Doug said, fall, <laughs> get back up, fall, get back up. And it was beautiful. It was wonderful. It's been a great process in my life of growth and transformation, but there was still something lacking inside of me. There were some deep wounds that I'd never addressed. You see, when you're a fighter and you're just fighting to live, you kind of don't think about those things, right? It's just it's weakness, maybe? I don't know. I had a situation in my life. I had a story. I, um, my, my father died when I was a kid. And my mom remarried, I don't know, six, seven years later. Maybe it was longer than that. And at the time, me and my brother were desperate for a father. We wanted a father. We wanted someone to say, you're a good son. We wanted someone to, like, affirm us as, as young men growing up. My mom had different boyfriends at the time, and, you know, they, they, were, they did nothing. They were in and out. They, they only had one thing that they wanted, right? They didn't want children, that's for sure. And so my, my mom married this man. And I was so excited to have a father. I just, I was so excited to have a father. And he was fun. He was exciting. Took us camping, went on adventures, all these different things. You guys don't know this about me, or most of you don't. But for a year, I went by Dominic Nelson. Because that was his last name. And I, I was excited to have a father. And then he had his own kids. He had a daughter and a son. And me and my brother felt his affections move away from us. <laughs> I couldn't handle that. I couldn't handle it. Everyone in my life, my father abandoned me. My mother turned her back on me. My brother wrote a song and put it on my counter one time, and it said, I never want to see you again. You're dead to me. Like every single person in my life had turned their back on me, and I was just a gaping wound. And my stepdad turned his affections away from me. You know what? My faith, even as a man, even in this church, and my relationship with the Lord has been based on that experience. I'm a stepson, and I better do everything right because God could very well just turn his affections away from me. He might do that. 
I mean, for all I know. So a lot of people would look at me and be like, Dominic, you're driven. Dominic, you're, uh, you're, you're so gifted. Look at you. You just, all these, you know, pouring praise on me. And I'm just like, it's fear. It's fear that if I don't, I'm going to be left to myself again. I certainly didn't want that. Because of my experiences and because of what I've explained to you, um, I lack compassion. I used to say things like, build a bridge and get over it, right? Tell people that all the time. Someone would be kind of pouring out their heart, and I'd be like, oh, sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> I remember one time I was talking to a guy. He was this kind of gypsy guy. I remember him, remember his face, over 20 years ago. And uh, he used to paint these big murals. And I was talking to him, and I said to him, God helps people who can't help themselves. I'm sorry, I said God helps people who, who, who help themselves. So, like, this is an important distinction, right? He helps people who can't help themselves, but if you believe the other way around, which seems more logical, it affects everything else that you do. So my life was, God isn't going to help me until I get up and do it for myself, Right? It's something that I feel like is really important. My whole life, the way that I operated was when I start doing something, then he's going to come and rescue me. And that is the message that I told everyone around me. I put that same burden on people around me as well. You better read the Bible. You better pray. You better go to church. You better get before the Lord. And they're like, I can't even move right now. I can't even get up out of bed and you want me to do? And that's the burden I put on people because I didn't understand what this man told me at the time and it's that God helps people who can't help themselves. He's a rescuer. He pursues. He comes after. It's always been him. It is him in the beginning. It's him all the way through the end. He sanctifies. He gets us to where he wants us to be. That's what it means to live in him and have our being I realized that I was desperate for a savior. And it wasn't just for salvation's sake. I was desperate for him to rescue me from myself, from destructive patterns, from self-sufficiency, from anxiety. I tried to make a beeline toward destruction in every single way. Man, I tried to run from my marriage so many times. My wife is like, uh-uh. You're not going nowhere. She's like, I'll find you. Whoa. <laughs> She would, she would tell Pastor Doug on me. Seriously, we get into a big fight, and I'm like, I'm out of here. Next morning, like, she told on me again? She sure did. Thank you, Ben. But that was kind of my mindset. I was always trying to throw everything away. Maybe I felt like I didn't deserve it. I'm not sure what it was. But I realized that God continued to pursue me, and he continued to love me. I love this verse in Philippians 2.13. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's working in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's putting desires in us, right? That's what it means when it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's not that he's just going to give you all the things that you fancy. He's going to Put those desires in you, and they're gonna, he's going to draw you to himself. Amen? 
I want to be clear about something. The Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I wasn't innocent in everything, right? I made a lot of bad decisions, and I reaped the consequences of my decisions. A lot of the experiences in my life, a lot of the hurt, a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the frustration, I brought upon myself. But sometimes there's a reason for the pain that we experience in our lives. It's interesting, isn't it? The things that God uses to bring us to himself. I think about that a lot. Pain is everywhere, right? It's inescapable. We see it in everything. You look around us. You look at the news. You look everywhere. Young kids are dying of cancer, tsunamis, hurricanes, devastating countries. I think it's easy to just kind of shake our fist at the sky and be like, what is going on? Why? Why the hurt? I mean, why does God allow suffering? Why did he allow my suffering? I mean, could he have, could he have intervened when we were being assaulted by our uncles? Could he have intervened when my father took his own life? Could he have, like, saved us from that? Of course he could have. Did he just turn a blind eye? Did he just choose to, like, abandon us and maybe didn't care? That's not his character. That's not his nature. But he allows suffering. My heart was ripped open time and time again in my life, and he wasn't powerless to stop it, and perhaps there was purpose in it. You know, perhaps the fact that suffering is, uh, is common to mankind has a way of uniting us. I think about that sometimes. There's a commonality. There's something that we see when there's suffering that, like, we demand justice, right? We demand that things be made right, and it has a way of bringing us together. I think that's important. Another thing that's important about pain is pain is an indicator that something is wrong. There's this girl, and she has a disease called SEPA. It's in Florida, and... Um, SEPA is a congenital insensitivity to pain with, an, with anhydrosis, and that means that she doesn't sweat. And, um, and her mom has to watch her all the time because she could put her hand on a burner and burn herself and not know it. She could break a limb and not know it. And so her mom prays every single day that she would experience pain. Think about that. Because, again, it's an indication that something is wrong. It opens up our eyes to the injustice and then we, we need to see things made whole. We have this innate desire for justice, and it points us to him. Because there is no justice in the world. I mean, I'm telling you, like, this is an important, and I hope that you get this. We have value. We have intrinsic value. You realize that whenever we talk about pain and suffering, we're always talking about people? We're talking about people. Right? We, we look at, like, nature, and we see, like, there, there's a tribe of, like, gorillas or apes, and they go into other communities of apes, and they just murder the whole lot of them. Right? And we don't say that's evil. We just say that's nature. That's nature. Right? They do that. It's territory. They're fighting each other. You know, a bear mauls somebody. It's not, they're not evil. Right? It's not, it, it, we don't talk about it in the same context. And the reason we don't is because we have innate value. We have intrinsic value that is essential to humanity, that can only be given to us by our creator. So, good. So, so again, because we have value, that is why it means so much to us that there's pain and suffering in the world. I'm going to shift gears a little bit in my message because 
I recognize this about, uh, about this specific message is that we all have our experiences, right? We all have the pain inside. If you've lived any amount of time, you would know you, you're going to have some pain and some suffering in your life, right? And then we come to a place where we recognize, like, I can't do this on my own, and we need, to, we need a Savior. We need God to come in and intervene in our lives. And then when we have that, when we understand that, we recognize it, there is a, an appropriate response to that, okay? My message is entitled, The New Creation Lives to Love, and that's because the appropriate response to a life that's been redeemed is love. That is how we live out our lives. That is how the world sees us or should see us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, In this way the love of God was revealed to us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. How do we respond to that? How do you respond to that? You know what's easy to do as a Christian? Let me tell you this. It's easy to pursue God for the benefits of knowing him. I want peace in my life. I want safety. I want my kids to be safe. I want provision. I want health. But you know what ends up happening when you pursue the benefits and not him? You end up sitting at his table and starving, malnourished, because you go in after the creation and not the creator. But if we'll set our eyes on him, there is hope in him. There is life and there is peace. And you know what? When we weather the storms of life, which will come, we're able to navigate it in peace. We're able to navigate it in understanding and trusting that he is good. Amen? My desire is that I would taste and see that the Lord is good and be captivated by him. This doesn't mean, this isn't a type of message that means that you need to go and get your life right. Okay? Go, go do, right? I think I addressed that earlier. It doesn't mean you need to follow all the commandments and read the Bible and pray every day. Those things are good, but they're a byproduct of a relationship with God. I had this backwards the whole time. I really did. Trying to work towards establishing a relationship with him. And what I found out is that if I would just look at him and be in awe of him, my response, my natural response to him is worship. And then my desire is, Lord, I want to read your word. Lord, I want to pray. Lord, I want to be in your presence. Does that make sense? I believe that when the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not because we finally won them over with our arguments. It's not because they finally, it finally clicked for them. It's because in the presence of the Lord, there's no pretentiousness, there's no self-righteousness, there's no entitlement. In the presence of the Lord, we're all slain. <laughs> in the presence of the Lord, we're in worship and awe and wonder. You know, when we see him, we become like him. You realize that? We become like him. When we talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit being cultivated in our life, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those things don't just happen. They happen when we abide in him. They happen whenever we, we spend time in his presence and he begins to transform our hearts and our lives. Amen? John chapter 7, it says, He who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. 
I want that. I want that. You know, it's interesting because, like, when you're around water and it's splashing, you're going to get wet, right? And as believers, as, as those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ and the river of living water is flowing out of us, a fountain is flowing out of us, the people around us should be getting wet. Like, you guys know how hot it's been lately, and you're out there in the heat, and you're just like, ah, I need to be refreshed. I need some water. I need to be cooled down. People around us, people that are close to us, are thirsty. They're parched. And what are they saying about you? What are they saying about this river that's supposedly flowing out of us? Like, this isn't a message to tear you down. I'm just saying that there is something inside of us that God has placed there that is intended to bless the people around us, that is intended to encourage and lift up and bring life to and nourish. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of the people around us that are suffering, and we get to hold them, hold their hand and walk with them and point them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's what the new creation looks like. It's love. It isn't divisiveness. In this day and age, there's so many things that divide us. One word. I say the one word up here, and it's the wrong word, and you can't hear anything else I say. And yet God has called us to love one another, to see other people through his eyes. It's a different way to look at people. John 13, 35 says that, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want people to look at my life and say, he's been with Jesus. That's what I want. I'm done. I am so done living a life where I'm trying to hold everything together. I'm done living a life where I try to, you know, put this image on to look really good and, and, um, and in the inside I'm dying. I'm over it. I want a real relationship with him and I want people around me that are suffering to know him and to find their peace in him and to find joy. And we have that. It's not a pipe dream. It's not just a story that we talk about to make people feel good. There's real hope, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know what the will of the Father is? You guys ever asked that question? You see that verse? It's that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the will of the Father is that we love. 1 John 4, 7 through 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. But he that doesn't love doesn't know God, for God is love. Amen? Amen. 